Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reservations. I'm your host, Rain Whalen. I'm joined today again by my good friend, Jeremy Blair, who's back with me. Hey, buddy. What's going on? And before we really get into it, me and Jeremy were talking uh, before we started recording. Uh, we want to just briefly discuss the new Joker trailer oh, yeah. starring Joaquin Phoenix. Um, so me, I feel like during high school, we talked about The Dark Knight. Yeah, it Did came we ever out. Talk this, about oh God, this is gonna this is gonna seem like we're super young and dumb and don't know what we're talking about. But it did come out when I think we were in we were freshmen or sophomores. <sighs> freshmen, two thousand in high school. <laughs> so that uh, oh wait, yeah. Mark? Oh wait, so we were freshmen. Oh boy, that makes us seem really young. Um, but yeah, and I mean, we were of course obsessed with Heath Ledger and his portrayal of the Joker. Ah, it's so good, and it will tie in with our uh, subject today. Yes, uh, because it is a neo noir. But mm. we'll we'll get into that no, way later. But, um, but I feel like uh, Heath Ledger really set the standard for how the Joker should be portrayed. Yeah. No offense to uh, Jack Nicholson if eh, you're listening. A Who cares? Uh, yeah, he's not listening. You, oh, but and by the way, welcome back. Joel Schumacher, thank you for yes. hanging in there with us. For uh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> not going to let that up. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I feel like he set the standard for how the Joker should be portrayed yep. and how he should seen. And um, you know, Jared Leto is a good actor, but he, <laughs> you know, I didn't mind. I I, I kind of liked it actually. His uh, his there were parts of great. Suicide Squad with him that I, I really enjoyed I was like well they cut a lot out yeah yeah like all the parts they put in for the extended edition I was like okay maybe if he had like more time to work with the character and really tweak it I feel like it could have been better and even that was only 5% of what they cut out anyway yeah yeah I heard I heard that he said that this is not the movie he signed up for there's like a whole like hour of Joker footage we didn't get to see so <sighs> damn you David Ayer yeah David Ayer come on <laughs> I, I apologize, David Ayer. Uh, oh, boy. Um, Burning bridges. But, you know, I feel like because of Heath Ledger, we didn't get a a good enough Joker. Mm-hmm. And that's not Heath, that's not Jared Leto's fault. That's just Heath Ledger really set that standard. Right. Um, and so when I first heard that they were going to do this standalone Joker movie, I was, I'll be honest, I was really against it. Not, and we were talking about this beforehand a little bit because of Todd Phillips. I love Todd Phillips. He's a yeah. great comedic director, but I was worried he was going to bring too much comedy to this. But the main reason I was against it was because as a comic book reader, I don't want to see how the Joker became the Joker. Oh, okay. I got you. Because like the mystery. Exactly. That, yeah. And that's the, 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 the point of the Jokers. We don't know where he came from. Right. Um, but when I heard that, they got Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, oh, my man. I was a little bit more like, okay. Okay. Did, did you see You Were Never Really Here uh, last year? With his uh, with his quote-unquote breakdown where he wasn't going to be acting anymore? No, that's... that's um, that, oh, I was here. That was I was here or I'm... No, yeah, it was I, I was, was here. here. Yeah. Right. You Were Never Really Here was Lynn Ramsey's uh, follow-up to uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin last year with Joaquin and he's sort of like this um ex military vigilante goes oh, and, yes. and he I, rescues I, a girls s- who have been kidnapped in, into the slave trade. I I saw the um the artwork, but I never actually saw oh, it is the trailer so or the movie. Good and it is fifty percent Joaquin, right? The other fifty is Lynn Ramsey, mm-hmm. right, in her brilliance. But it is all Joaquin all the way, and it's so good. Okay. So 
if I mean, if you loved You Were Never Really Here and you're listening to this, thank you, by the way, <laughs> um, then you got to, you got to check out the trailer for this because I think it, it's going to blow us away. I think it's so good. Oh, yeah. I like um, like I think Joaquin <clears throat> briefly, very briefly, very, very briefly became a very underrated actor. And then I think he turned that around um, in the I would say in the last like six, seven years. Yeah. Turned that around. was like, no, I'm not an underrated actor. I'm, I'm the go-to. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think it may have started a little bit with walk the line and it just catapulted in the master. If you've seen the master, um, Paul Thomas Anderson's film, it's so brilliant and he's so good at it too. Um, and so, so when I heard that Joaquin had been cast as Arthur Fleck, which, if anyone didn't know, that's what his character's name is. Uh, IMDb does not have him listed as the Joker. He's yeah. listed as Arthur Fleck. Yeah. Um, I was like, okay, I'm, I might be behind this movie a little bit. And uh, did you ever see, like, the test footage they released for it? Yeah. Well, well, no, the the, the quote-unquote test footage that a lot of people are like, oh, no, that's not test footage. That's like... Was it the... Um, it was the one with the guess who laughing... I think in so. The, as the background music, right? Yeah, where he's and just it, like it standing was like projected there. Projected on his right. Yes. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did see that, and I—I I mean, I was just so excited. Um, I didn't—I didn't get to see that. Unfortunately, I didn't. I got to see it later. Yeah. But I did see a lot of the set photos, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then the actual trailer, little teaser trailer dropped, but they gave us a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's—it's it's a full-fledged trailer. If you go longer than that, I mean, I have—I'm nowhere to talk. The last time we did this, it was two and a half hours, <laughs> but. And I'm not saying it's not going to be two and a half hours again. <laughs> Who knows? But, you know, trailers are too long anyway. And the fact that that two minute thing was a teaser, nah. <laughs> that needs to stay the way it is. But I am really glad that they're saying it's a one off, no sequels, no nothing, mm. no world building. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's supposedly it's going to start this whole new wave of DC films that are all going to be standalone. Yeah. Um, well, because they're terrible at the universe. Thing. Yeah. She's supposedly Shazam is Shazam and Wonder Woman are shit saving it. Because they're the highest rated DC movies right now. Anyway, but they're going to be standalone DC movies that aren't going to be taking place within the their, right. tr- their wannabe universe. Yeah. Um, which I think gives them more room to be creative and more room to... I do too. And, yeah, and I definitely think it shows in this trailer. Yeah. I was not expecting anything yeah, like it what I saw really bleak mm-hmm. and that is my jam oh yeah so I <laughs> and it sounds terrible but it is it's I'm so excited about it one of the things I really love before we really uh, get into our topic Ooh, I'm so um, is we in the t- and, and you kind of said it perfectly within the two minute trailer uh, we see so much and we see his actual decline into madness yeah like it's it's gonna be great. Um, October cannot get here fast enough. I agree. Very excited. Um, hopefully, it's gonna be a smash hit, so they can make more of these. Um, more Probably of the standalones, won't. not a sequel to this, because <laughs> sequels ruin everything. With mm-hmm. with very few exceptions, one of them being The Dark Knight, which is the best sequel besides The Godfather Part Two, in mm-hmm. my opinion, of all time. So, oh yeah. Well, and uh, trying to take note from uh, my mom, mom, if you're listening, uh, trying to do a seamless transition, <laughs> which you're so good at. Um, our subject today is uh, we're going to be talking about film noir. Now, this is something that a lot of people 
mainly me and Jeremy's age that don't know a lot about. And I'm going to be honest. I don't know a whole lot. I know enough because I was preparing for this episode. Um, but I've talked to people. Have, they don't know what noir is. And I hope maybe this can educate. I am so excited to educate everyone who's listening to this. Oh, yeah. And one of my favorite styles of film. And, sure. and I told you this right before we started. Um, it's going to be me more so you talking <laughs> and me listening. Um, I mean, that's fine. I don't mind. Obviously, I don't mind talking. That's not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, so since you know more about this than I do, uh, I'll let you begin this and I'll bring in my two cents of what I've researched, okay. which I kind of talked about a little right. bit. But. Yeah, we talked about it off mic earlier. Just to, you know, prepare, if you can call it that. Um, uh, Yeah. (laughs) What we do is not professional in any way, shape, or form. But that's fine. I have three pages of notes in front of me and a textbook. So let's see what we can do. Um, So Film Noir. Um, Film Noir is a... It's less of a genre. It's really hard to pin down, but it's more of a style. It's more of a mood. It's more technique, right? Mm -hmm. So... Film noir came about. Um, it's a it's French origin. Okay. So because it means uh, black film. Literally, yes, black film. But uh, if you want to tweak it a little bit, it's dark film. Okay. Right? Um, so this came about after World War Two had ended. So this is like 1945. Mm-hmm. Um, France is now starting to get movies they had missed during during the war. Right. And they're seeing themes. They're seeing similar ideas, similar themes, similar styles, uh, where it's a dark storyline. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, high contrast lighting um, right. with very big, ominous shadows. Uh, you have um, what they would later call femme fatales, oh, yeah. uh, dangerous women uh, involved in the storylines. Uh, they're mostly about crime, death, um mystery so but all of this to say none of this was possible unless you go back 25 years into the past with okay. german expressionism right so german expressionism is it's and also you know it's not it's not as hard to pin down mm-hmm. um so the key example that I'll give, and there's a lot of examples, but the key one, the the PhD resistance <laughs> of, of German expressionism is the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, I, f- I feel like I've heard of this, this now, film before. It is. I mean, it's so brilliant. So I, I have some notes here about Caligari and they're all scattered around three pages. So I'm going <laughs> to try my best. So um, I... The dates are muddy because I've seen 1919. I've seen 1920. So I don't know which one it is. Okay. It'd be cool if it was 1919 because that means it turns 100 this year. Oh. Uh, which is so cool uh, that a movie can turn 100 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't know what the movie's about, it's about um, this this man um, telling the story to to this other man on a bench. And it involves this this doctor who has this half formed half dead zombie man. Okay. Who is after the narrator's friends and his fiance. 
Okay. Ah, it's crazy. So what makes it German expressionistic, it's, it's set design. So it's set design is bananas. All right. <laughs> it's, it's purposely distorted. So what, what German expressionism does best is it uses mise-en-scene to, um, really mess with your expectation of what a movie looks like. Okay. So mise-en-scene is a fancy French, um, film studies term for everything you see on screen, the way it's placed, the way it's blocked, the way it's designed, the way the frame is, everything. So it uses this to put in, you know, corners of the room that wouldn't really match. We have stools that wouldn't really work in real life that people are sitting on, tables that are lopsided. We have... uh, So so it's almost like being inside a Van Gogh painting. Kind of, yeah. It's it's very, very strange. Okay. Um, And deliberately so. So it is meant to disorient... And it, it's sort of, you know, to reflect the 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 inner workings of the characters. Right. OK. We kind of feel the way they do because of the way the story is being presented in front of us. OK. Um, like I'm 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 stressed out watching Cabinet and Dr. Caligari because, number one, ah, it looks so weird. Right. Right. <laughs> and it works because I'm I'm being told a very strange story. OK. Um, and the way it really connects with film noir mm. is, number one, it was it was created to deal with the aftermath of World War One. OK. The way film noir after World War Two. So they are they're both products of aftermath. Right. Right. Um, and the aesthetic is really important in both. Yeah. I, that was something I found in my research yeah. is that you can really tell uh, the shift yeah. um, from, you know, this hopeful era of Hollywood, you know, where everything's big and bright and studio lighting and, you know, the everything is very well, you know, oriented, I guess is the word. Yeah, it's probably not, it's not the word I mean, but it's something I can think of. And then the shift, uh, you know, World War Two, everything is, you know, the American people were, you know, kind of beaten down and sad. And so the films reflected that. And the sh- uh, we, we talk about with shadows and, yeah. you know, there was always mystery or crime or something. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that was something I found in my research of that that shift of of war and everything. Right. And so like the set on a, on a German expressionistic film, mm-hmm. um, you know, the set is like, I would say a little more than 50% of what makes it German expressionistic. Okay. Um, film noir does with its setting, its city, right? Mm-hmm. So the city or the town or whatever is so important in these films. So I'm going to give you a wonderful example. And I know it's one that you sort of researched when we, when I told you I want to talk about this, uh-huh. um, was M. Right. So M is, in my opinion, German expressionism mel- melding into film noir. Okay. Uh, you got Peter Lorre. Mm-hmm. I love so much. Uh, Peter Lorre's character, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, first off, <laughs> you should, because it is brilliant. Um, 
God, Fritz Lang is such an amazing filmmaker, and he did a lot of German expressionistic films in the silent era. This was his first sound film, mm-hmm. and you can really tell his background is in German expressionism, but without painting shadows on the wall like they did back then, um, he just used crazy lighting. And right. um, he would use, you know, these these sort of these sort of plot points that are really dark and you know, and there's a mystery and there's, you know, suspense. So if so M is about a child murderer, mm. uh, played by Peter Laurie, yeah, uh, of course. I was who, not expecting that this nineteen thirty film uh, would be about a child murderer when I was doing my research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the movie came out in 1931, and it's nuts that it is that it is what it is about, right? Mm-hmm. So, Peter Lorre is the child murderer. You know, you couldn't cast anyone better because he's he's a creepy looking guy. Yeah, right? I, I will say in some of the footage I watched, it, yeah. I was like, well, yeah, y- yeah. In your in so in the clips, you did you see any other main characters? Um, they uh, in the in the in the analysis I watched, they talked about him. Obviously, yeah. uh, they talked about the blind man. Yeah, <clears throat> who I'm assuming we'll get to why he's important. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, we may. Um, we may not. I want to ruin it for anybody. <laughs> um, I the, can't. I can't. Well, the, the reason I bring it up is there isn't. That's yeah. I was about to say because they didn't really talk about anyone else. Right. Just those two. It's Peter Lorre versus Berlin. Um, okay. So, why that's so important is number one, it it solidifies the city being a character. Exactly. They're so important. It is without it, you don't have a movie. Right. So, um. We have the parents and the citizens who are so terrified that this man is stealing children. Mm-hmm. We have cops and police officers and detectives and blah, 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 who are out there every night trying to find this guy to protect the citizens who are so terrified. We have the criminals who hate that the cops are out all the time because they can't do their job. <laughs> so we have all of these people united by one thing, which is Peter Lorre. And... Also, it is one of the first times we see psychology being used as a as a reason for his actions. He does cite, this is just who I am. I can't help it. I've always been this way, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, that's, that's so weird. Yeah. Normally people have other reasons for doing so, but he doesn't. Yeah. In, in the video I watched, they, they discussed how... He says that it's it, he was born this way, and yeah. <clears throat> there's a little voice telling him to do this. Yeah. So it uses psychological reasons, which is nuts. I mean, we don't really see that. I mean, we kind of get it in Caligari a little bit, right. which, again, is why German Expressionism is so linked to mm. film noir. Um, but I think that M, again, and I keep doing it in sign language in front of you. <laughs> I keep doing the little M on my hand. <laughs> I think M is, um, I mean, it's the perfect mix between the two. Okay. And only a German filmmaker could have done it. And it's Fritz Lang, you know. Right. Uh, he's so brilliant. And, I mean, I guess now we can jump into some other crazy noirs, uh, which mm. ones that I love so much, like the Maltese Falcon. Yeah, I, I tried to do some more research on that, but I couldn't find any... Not necessarily analysis of it, yeah. but nothing that really made sense. The most I really gathered was that the the main character, I can't remember his name, but I know he's the, the, the detective. It's Humphrey uh, Bogart. Yeah. Um, 
and, and this is a common some in a common theme within film noir is he threads the uh, m- uh, moral ambiguity of mm-hmm. his job, yeah. you know, um, and, but still stays to his kind of like core beliefs, mm-hmm. which is another motif of noir, which I learned. Yeah, that even though these detectives or these lawyers or you know whatever who the main character was has this moral ambiguity. I am totally saying wrong. You do. (laughs) But still has a a core belief system that they stick to. Yeah. And it... Man, I just love this this style so much. Um, Yeah, I mean, it is... And also, Peter Laurie is also in the movie, which links those two. (laughs) Really? I know, it's nuts. Um, And most... Most noirs are crime films, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and have to deal with crime. Um, I mean, I, I don't agree with this, but I guess I have to because so many people say it. Um, is Double Indemnity is probably the most film noir film noir film out there. Okay. Um, has to do with, you know, insurance fraud. There's there's murder. There's a femme fatale. I mean, there it's in a... The city is so important. And it's... It's pretty good. Um, when I was in college for my crime... Crime in cinema class, uh, we were tasked this week to watch two films, M and Double Indemnity. And okay. I loved M so much more. Uh... M to me is the perfect film noir, but I'm biased and I just love the movie so much um, and I can't help it and I won't and you can't make me. I wasn't going to. Okay, great. I appreciate it. Um, I'm not trying to change you, Jeremy. Oh, thank God. No one can. Um, so uh, in as I was reading stuff to prepare for today, mm-hmm. um, I was reading in John Lewis's book, uh, American Film, A History. It was one of my textbooks in college. Okay. Um, he was talking about um, the the shooting schedule. So shooting schedules in movies prior to 1940 were, if we need to shoot a night scene, you shoot it during the day. Really? Right? Yeah. They would just do little trickeries to make it seem like it's nighttime. No big deal. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, after 1940, we're starting to do night scenes at night. <laughs> Makes sense. It would make sense, right? But, yeah. I mean, again, this is a big shift. This is actually going outside and shooting at night. Um, no, no one's seeing you point at the sky, though. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm pointing at the sky. <laughs> <laughs> shooting at night. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's silly. I forget no one can see me. Um, so, uh, and again, it makes the setting more important because we're actually outside in it. Right. Uh, this is a lot of on location shooting was was happening during this film noir uh, era, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and after 1960, they're called neo noirs, and we'll get into that because most film noirs are black and white, right? Uh, films and because they kind of have to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they can't be in Technicolor. That wouldn't work. Because, um, again, you need the high contrast lighting, and you can't really get that in color. But anyway, um, did you find anything about setting uh, shooting schedules? Or not necessarily, not necessarily like in, in my research, but you know, now that you've actually said it, in in a, I watched a video last night, actually, about the... <clears throat> film noir 
I think he referred, no, well, he didn't really refer to it as a movement, but I kept feeling like that's the way he wanted to say. Um, the narrator of this video, mm-hmm. who, for everyone who's listening. Um, and a lot of the clips he was showing, and he never really cited what movies he was showing, but he was showing a lot of clips from a lot of movies. Yeah. Um, and I was noticing a trend of out being outside and yeah. you know because you know, in the 30s 40s you know if you watch those movies you, you can tell when it's a set you know now nowadays it's harder to tell when a movie's on a set I mean there are little things that give it away but now it's harder back then it was very easy well for us now looking well, at it I'll tell you this I want you to when we're done look up Roy Anderson okay and, and his he's a Swedish filmmaker and in his set design it's out of this world. You won't believe it. So anyway, okay. uh, what well, he does to make it look like outside, it's insane. Anyway. Okay. But, you know, for, for me at least, I, right. I, I've been able to tell on the older films, it yeah, was You can set. tell rear projection when they're in the car, right? Mm-hmm. You can, I mean, yeah, I know exactly what you're Yeah, but then seeing all these, the clips that he was showing from all these different movies, I didn't feel like they were on the set. So now that you said that right. they were actually filming outside yeah. and getting, you know, nighttime shots. Yeah, and again, it fits so well with the story. Um, and a great example is one that you brought up, um, Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we were talking about it earlier this week. Yeah. Um, which is a film I love. I think probably the first uh, black and white film I ever saw. Oh, look at that. Um, uh, and I guess the first noir film I ever saw. Yes, you didn't know it, but that was what it was. Yes. Um that one, and I, I talked about him last time, and I'm going to talk about him again this time because he was so taken by Sunset Boulevard. Uh, was David Lynch with Mulholland Drive? Okay. So both of these movies, again, I'm doing a, a two sign at you. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I do that. Um, both of these movies could not happen anywhere else. Right. Um, and if nothing else, because they're titled after the set, after where they are mm. in, in Los world. Angeles. Yeah. Right. Um, and God, I love Sunset Boulevard. It's so good. I uh, will probably go off on a little tangent with this. Um, I remember when my mom rented it and she was like, you have to watch this. And I don't remember how old I was. It was probably 10 I was, I was young. I remember I was young. Yeah. But the film stuck with me because going into it, I was like, I'm not going to like this. It's black and white. Where's the color? Yeah. You know, 10-year-olds nowadays probably, you know, say worse things about black and white films. I mean, I'm telling you, man, they like their movies in color. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but I was so, I, I remember I was so sold on the world. Um Re-researching everything about noir, I realized there were some things I missed because it went over my head Mm -hmm. at such a young age, but it all makes sense now anyway. Um, But the film stuck with me. Like, I still today remember, you know, that it's, you know, narrated Mm -hmm. by the main character, Mm -hmm. and the film starts off with him dead in the pool. Yeah. Like... And I remember watching that. I'm like, wait, who who's this? And then seeing him alive, I was like, wait, but how did right? How did this happen? Wait, what? And 
and seeing that the, the 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 turn of events that happened to this character to how he ended up in the pool yeah was amazing like Gl- Gloria Swanson's a monster I don't know what to tell <laughs> that was it which which is what I found funny uh, when my mom explained to me that she was playing a faded silent film actress yeah and she was a silent film actress yeah and that was that was so uh, you know the term wasn't relevant at the time but no meta. I, I'm trying to think of what uh, what would be the equivalent today I don't know but um, um but being a silent film I mean a lot of actors and actresses in the silent era didn't make it when mm-hmm. sound came out I mm-hmm. mean uh, there was a few that did Chaplin being one of them um he made one two three four four films I think with sound it Maybe wasn't five. the great dictator his final great, one great dictator was not his final one actually was it? it was uh technically the second one because in 36 he did modern times and modern times did have some um it was mostly silent but there was some dialogue a little mm-hmm. bit tiny bit and he used um, some sound elements in there as well um actually limelight was his last american oh, one okay. in 1952 so oh, great wow, dictator was wow. 1940 i know um i'm a huge chaplin nerd so i was I, lied to by he's my uh, favorite the uh robert Downey jr biopic now yeah well they do actually and that's the and I know exactly what you're talking about again movie came out when Dale was born <laughs> I love this movie so much um, they do and this is such a sidebar mention um, Limelight at, he was just at the premiere for Limelight oh, okay. right um, with Claire Bloom and whatever um, and you can just see the poster and then people are dressed like Calvero uh, on the side the way they used to do old mm-hmm. Hollywood uh, premieres and and that's how you would know if you knew his filmography it's like oh there's Limelight okay it must be 1952 <laughs> you know what uh, I mean? okay. um, anyway anyway yeah, so, so, so back to back to Sunset Boulevard uh, back, um, welcome back to the Chaplin podcast uh, <laughs> with Jeremy Rain. Um jeez Louise <laughs> Joel Schumacher you're a saint for listening you know, shockingly, and I'm going to leave this in and this, uh, shockingly, no one complained about us rambling, uh, which to everyone who gave me notes, I thank you for not complaining about us rambling. That is that is very nice of them. I know. Because we deserve to get yelled at <laughs> for rambling so much. Um, okay. So, 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 so back to film noir. Film noir. Um, we can talk about... You know, obviously setting is so important because sets in German Expressionism were so important. Mm-hmm. Actually, Fritz Lang, I had this written down, and mm-hmm. I had to I had to talk about it because it's so cool that he used to be an architect before oh, he was a filmmaker, okay. and so his sets are amazing. I, I remember seeing, when I was watching the film analysis for M, um, there's... There's a portion of the video I watched where he mainly talked about the sound in it, how Fritz Lang uses sound to really drive Mm -hmm. the the point, not necessarily the point home, but like to build the world. Right. And to 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 further the plot. Right. It was a plot device. Yes. Which they did talk about that, how he whistled uh, Hall of the Mountain King. Yeah. 
And that's how the blind guy figured out. Like, that's right. Ah. That's right. <laughs> um, but watching it, and you know, they took a lot. They they did a lot. Um, they showed a lot of shots of tracking shots on the street, and a lot of air. Well, not necessarily air, wide angle shots. Yeah. And lifting the camera above the world, kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah, the sets looked amazing. I was like, this this is a 1930s film? Yeah. And if you want to be completely blown away, you need to see the movie he made right before it in 27, Metropolis, which is his oh, masterpiece. I've always wanted to see Metropolis. We're gonna, I'm about to go off on a huge tangent here. <laughs> Metropolis. When I was taking my um, composition and rhetoric to class over the summer break. Yeah. In 2013. Good God. It is 2019 right now for reference. Um, there I go. We did not talk about composition and rhetoric. I, I can't remember my uh, my professor's name. He was awesome. Um, we talked about Metropolis, yeah. and I was so uh, taken by the imagery and and the point of the film too. Yeah. Um, that I've been dying to see it. And sidebar, it's my sidebar within my sidebar. Wow, it's like the inception of sidebars, right? Um, and how I met your mother, Ted, as a poster of as a poster room. of yeah. his room. He does. <laughs> I remember that. Okay, now we've now we've looped back uh, back to him and uh, Fritz Lang's set Fritz, design. Yeah, I mean his set design is immaculate, and I mean yes and M, but so much more so in Metropolis, mm-hmm. which is German expressionistic. So. It's still ties in okay yeah Um, it it all works right and circle of life if if people are listening to this and it's like why isn't he talking about fw moreau fine (laughs) fw moreau well i did kind of because he did caligari but um (laughs) i just didn't mention it sorry i guess um but he also did um the last laugh and nosferatu um fun fact about nosferatu he couldn't get the rights Dracula, so he tweaked it. Oh. So it's the same story, but different enough that he didn't have to they pay didn't get Bram sued. Stoker. No. Oh. I don't think so. Oh, no. Someone fact check that. Very Do interesting. Do we have people for that? We don't. <laughs> it's just us. Okay. Well, I mean, my wife's over there, but she's got her uh, noise canceling headphones on. Oh. Unless we throw something at her. You get it, Rain. You're married. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> um. That's interesting. Yeah, that, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, so I mean that explains why it uh, he does not look like Dracula. No, at all. Yeah, um, I mean, he kind of does. If you saw I mean, Bram Stoker's Dracula, he kind of looks like Gary Oldman in the in the white well, with the well, long fingers. Or whatever. Well, actually, you would you would say uh, Gary Oldman looked like Nosferatu. You're right. Oh my God, what? Dude, nice. Francis Ford Coppola's uh, getting on the phone right now I know. to oh, to no. yell at you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh boy! But I told him I liked The Godfather Part Two earlier. Anyway, uh, he, he may let it slide then. Oh thank God! Um, so there's my FW tangent. Okay, so we have we have the basis of what makes a film noir, right? Um, and we can go over some of those again if we need to, but let's not. <laughs> let's talk about some movies we've seen that were neo-noir. And I have one I want to talk about in particular, and then we can tangent off to something else. But we have to, have to, have to, if we're talking about neo-noir, talk about what I think is <laughs> is basically a film noir in color mm-hmm. is Brick. 
Okay. Um, have you seen Brick? I have not. It's I've a never... Ryan Johnson film. and Ryan Johnson as in uh, Last he, Jedi? Yeah. Ryan Johnson? Ryan Johnson, yeah. Uh, this was his first movie. Plugging the previous episode, <laughs> which <laughs> everyone will hear uh, the week prior. Oh, well, okay, great. <laughs> yeah, I don't know when, more, when this is coming out. Um, so, yes, Ryan Johnson. Okay. Um, he took a detective murder mystery and put it in a high school. Okay. And it's with Joseph Gordon-Lovett. I see you Ooh. typing. You're going to look it up. It's great. So not only do we, is it a murder mystery, but the dialogue is that of a 1940s gangster film. It's amazing. And oh, so, yeah, yeah, it says right here, hard-boiled detective story. That's right. It is a hard-boiled detective story. Um, and I had my mom watch it. Shout out to my mom. Hey, Ma. Um, <laughs> I had her watch it, and she was just, uh, she didn't know what to think because it was so crazy. And it's so good. It's so well put together that, yeah, they're talking. They're solving this mystery, which we never did in high school, I don't think. But then they'll, like, go to their locker or something and you're like oh yeah they're in high school I completely forgot <laughs> you know but it does fit with noir because the high school is the setting okay. and yeah it could happen in other places right it's not it's not tethered to the high school right but the fact that it's set in a high school and these guys are like you know Joseph Gordon-Lovett is going through like the social classes of the school to find answers right like Uh he's going to the drama guys to get answers he's going to the jocks he's going to the burnouts you know Um, and it's so incredible I highly recommend Brick I might have to look into it oh for sure it's okay um because I actually thought, uh, now that we've uh, moved to neo-noir films, I thought you were going to bring up Blade Runner. I do love Blade Runner. Um, because uh, I finally, uh, not just recently, but in, in the last six months, finally watched it. Okay. Uh, and the final cut, because I know of all the, the crap that Ridley Scott went through. Uh, with that film. Okay, first off, the one with narration's the worst one. All right, it's oh. been, <laughs> if you haven't Harrison Ford, I apologize, but he is just reading, and you can tell. Is it, is it Harrison Ford? <laughs> yeah, doing the narration. And he's doing the narration. Thank he's God, just, I didn't watch that one. And then. he's just reading, and it's really monotone like this. And then now we're going over. It's so ridiculous, and it's so <laughs> terrible, and I'm so happy they took it out in the last one, in the last cut, because it's. It's not great, but the final cut is great. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the final cut, and we and we talked about this uh, last week after we got done with our Quentin Tarantino yeah. spiel. Um, even though I really enjoyed the film, I, I did felt like it was slow, like a slow build. Yeah. Um, up until the uh, last forty-five minutes, I would say, okay. is when it really heated up. When Harrison, you know, was dialed in. Yeah, um, and uh, I can't think of the, uh, the the blonde-haired replicant's name. It, it, oh, es- come it escapes on, dude. me. God, um, I don't remember either. I want to say it starts with an L. No, Leonard. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you're Leo. Right. I don't know. I just know the actors' names. Lynn. 
Um, on my phone. But anyway. It was it Rutger Hauer? <laughs> Rutger Hauer, and it was Roy Batty. That's right, Roy. So you were right. even close. I don't even know. I don't know where Leonard came from. Right. Anyway, well, you know where he kills, you know the creator of the replicants, and and that's when I was like, oh, damn, oh, like holy shit, like well, it's going down exactly. But he had to get all of this information first, right? And it's a horrible detective story set in science fiction Los uh, Angeles, right? Los Angeles. It's like it's like I think they said it was like um, Los Angeles, Tokyo. Oh yeah, that's right. Like, because someone told me uh, that in this universe, uh, Chinese is the universal language. Huh. In it, um, even though everyone speaks uh, English. English. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. It's odd. Um, uh, I, I, I had not me. heard that. I don't know who told me that, but yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so you know, so I, I mentioned it to you that yeah. I felt like it was slow. Um, a slow build. I still greatly enjoyed the movie. Yeah, I'm glad I finally fantastic. watched it. It is the first movie I wrote down when I was doing my new and newer list. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, Blade Runner. <laughs> Obviously, because it's such an obvious pick, mm-hmm. you know. And you would never think a, a, a sci-fi movie starring Han Solo... <laughs> Not as Han Solo. Hey, man, he's Indiana Jones. Oh, well, okay. well I mean, and, and now I know that these are like his three biggest characters, Han Solo, Indiana Jones, and uh, Deckard. Yeah. Shaw? No. It's Rick Deckard. Rick Deckard. Ah, I'm a garbage person. Now you're doing great. <laughs> um, and, but, you know, I would have never uh, classified it as a noir film. Um... I did go back and not necessarily rewatched it, just kind of re-skimmed mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. and I was seeing those the, the motifs of noir right. film. Yeah, it was very you know shadowed, and you know Rick Deckard is you know a you know he's I do like the term hard boiled detective. Yes, <laughs> he's a hard boiled detective. Yes, and uh, like he's an egg. You know he he doesn't really want to get pulled back into police work and they kind of make him like, well, too bad. You're going to do it anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he hops the line between, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Yeah. Um, like when he shoots that one replicant through like all the windows yeah, and shoots her in the back. Oh yeah. yeah. I was like, damn, that's cold blooded. <laughs> it is cold blooded. Um, he's hard boiled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's where it comes from. No, that's not where it comes from. <laughs> um, There's no way that's true. But, and then, <clears throat> one of the things I really liked, even though I, I was like, oh, this is such a slow movie, was the dialogue. I felt mm-hmm. like the dialogue, because um, really Scott wrote it too, didn't he? Or did he just direct it? I, I think um, he just... No, he did not write it. It looks like uh, Hampton uh, Fancher. Oh, okay. Well... Fancher? I have no so, idea who that is, but... That's okay. I'll tell you what else he's written since we're standing here. Uh, <laughs> might as well. Well, and it, it's based on a book. Yes, too. it's a Philip K. Dick, uh, uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Yes. Um, but the the dialogue was so tuned in mm-hmm. and so well put together. And that's how Brick is, by the way. If you need, it's, it's them talking like that, but they're teenagers. Ooh. I know. I'm telling you. Um, 
Now we'll bring up other ones, but I really like Blade <laughs> a lot. Now, would you say Blade Runner twenty forty nine is still considered a neo noir film? <sighs> it's a good question. I've actually spoken to my buddy Kale about this because he he liked the movie a lot, mm-hmm. but he did mention, and I kind of agree with him that. And oh, by the way, hey Kale, <laughs> uh, he was saying that they they focused too much on the technology in okay. twenty forty nine. It was it was more futuristic than it was noir than it was a detective story, and I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I I, I love twenty forty nine. Oh, I do too. Twenty forty nine was great. Um, Denis Villeneuve is that his name? The director is uh, so good. Oh my god! I think that's, that's exactly Prisoners how. Prisoners is another neo noir, and um, which one? Prisoners. Oh, I, I was wondering if we were going to talk about Prisoners. Yeah. Even though I didn't know it was a noir film. Yeah. Or neo noir. So. Um, but no, I, I kind of agree with that. I mean. I, I still got more of the detective aspect out of it, you yeah. know, because Ryan Gosling is K. Um, I felt like he, you know, he was still trying to piece together. Oh yeah, everything. There's still a mystery, and there's still mm-hmm. sleuthing to be had. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot more attention brought to technology. Mm-hmm. Like his whole relationship with his uh, AI. Yeah. I th- God, is she what? Is she Argentinian or something? I've seen her in other films, and she's great. Uh, I love her so much. She's uh, she's really good. Um, but you're right. She. <laughs> yeah, his relationship with the robot lady with the. <laughs> She's not a robot. She's a hologram. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. They, they, I would say yes, but not as much. Yeah. I mean, I feel like for me, at least, not knowing as much about noir films like you, um, for me, the only thing that, that really stood out to me as you, this is a noir film um, was the emotion. Mm-hmm. of everything. I was talking with my, my friend Alex after we got done with our episode. Right. Again, yeah. plugging last week's episode. Star Wars. Right, yeah. It? yeah. <laughs> um, we talked about the emotion in the scene where Ryan Gosling thinks he's the kid. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and and he has the realization that the that the memory is real. Spoiler alert, he's not the kid. Yeah. If anyone <laughs> cared, this movie's two years old. Yeah, you should had know. time to see it. Yes. Um, <laughs> We're just berating people who haven't seen the movie yet. Um, but, you know, he's like, so he's like, oh, so it's real. And just, God damn it! Yeah. Like, I feel like we really felt his emotion, like, like holy shit. Yeah. Like, everything's about to change. Right. Um, <clears throat> and then it gets flipped on its head. So for me, I felt like the emotion of it, yeah. for me at least, classifies it as a still noir film. But I could still see where they focused too much on the technology side of, they did a little bit, yeah. of, the, of the movie. I mean, it's still a brilliant movie. I love it very oh, much. Yeah. So um, great. So um, here's, here's a weird one that I've seen several times um, that I have turned people on to and they love it is Dark City. Okay. Oh, man. Dark City is a noir film, but we have these secondary sort of antagonists that are otherworldly, and we're and they have powers, and then they... I mean, it's crazy. Okay. It's so good, man. It... And it's sci-fi. Okay. Um, but it's different. It does... And it's set in, like, this 50s sort of world where we got the hats, we got the overcoats and the suits and, and, um, 
Jennifer Connelly is a Ooh. lounge singer with this green dress, and it's it's amazing. Okay, um, it's that's another one that I love very much, and it's dark. No pun intended. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> is in Dark City, it's never daytime. All right, so so the whole movie is, is nighttime. Really? Yeah. Mm. Whole movie's nighttime, um, and it is a mystery, and you're trying to solve it with this guy who is wo- who has awoke in this tub in this sleazy motel, and he doesn't know who he is. Right? And okay. we're trying to find out who is this guy. Right. And that's so good. And again, he runs into these bald men with these powers and they're trying to stop him and everyone freezes at midnight, but he doesn't. Why doesn't he? And they they don't know either. They're like, why is he not frozen? He should be frozen like everyone else at midnight. Anyway, it's an huh. insane movie. I can't tell you anymore without ruining it, but it's awesome. Okay. Dark Sin. Um Now, one thing I wanted to talk about, because in my research... And when we when we talked about it, about how, you know, the noir films reflected the times. Yeah. Um, in in this one film, the video I watched, um, it got to the sixties. I'm gonna have to look it up now. Bear oh, with man. me. Come on. Um, Do we have time for this? Uh, <laughs> no, damn you! I didn't want that. I wanted the. I wanted. I'm, I'm yelling at my computer. Everyone. Computers are hard. Um, this is trash. Is that it? That is it. Okay, 70s. I'm a garbage human being. Again. <laughs> um, it was, they, they got to the part of 1970s, mm-hmm. and I guess this classifies in the neo-noir. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Chinatown. Yes, and that's the second one I have written down is Chinatown. Um, because. 1974. I, I've, I've looked at it. I've seen like the the anniversary edition and the I'm a sucker if anyone out there knows I'm I'm a sucker for a good uh, font and a good artwork. Oh yeah, the movie poster is awesome with um, the smoke, right? Well, yeah. and and the uh, the collector's edition uh, or the anniversary edition I should say is if I remember correctly, it's all white, mm-hmm. and then there is a line of smoke in it. it. Says Chinatown, and I don't know why I didn't buy it. <laughs> I was like, that looks so cool, and I flipped it around I'm like, oh, the Jack Nicholson is is which a we kind of flipped back to when we started about Joker. <laughs> yeah, um, I was like, okay, Jack Nicholson is Jack in it, Nicholson. but I didn't know anything about it, and with with. With music that has a, a good artwork that grabs me, I'll just listen to the album. But with movies, it's kind of hard to um, uh, go back with. Like, oh, well, I can't. I own this movie now, and I'm never going to watch it again. Like <clears throat> Justice League. Did I say that out loud? Oh boy. Um, Here's the poster, by the way. No, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm looking at it right here too. Okay, yeah, it's so good. Actually, if you you had to stop by my office at work this week, if you had been there two no, if you had been there a week earlier, uh-huh. I would have had this on my wall. This oh. was on my back wall, and then I switched them out. So yeah, um, but so so anyway, so so the thing I learned about it is it was released two years after Watergate. Yeah. Um, and then it was released, I think, uh, and then a, a month after that, Nixon resigned. 
Um, it was all because of Chinatown. Yes. Damn you, Roman Polanski. 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 I said Polanski. it right the first time. Yeah, Polanski, yeah. Um, but they they really in the in the, the 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 film analysis video I watched, they really didn't have a big section on Chinatown, but they mm-hmm. really I felt like they really were talking yeah. about why Chinatown was. Uh, important for the time it was released and why it is considered a noir film. Yeah. Um, and learning that, I really want to watch it now. <laughs> like, I think I may uh, buy it. You need uh, to. It's really good. And uh, watch it because, I mean, I love me some Jack Nicholson, first of all. Yeah. Um, again, love the uh, logo. The logo is fantastic. Yeah, the the poster's um, great. But they they really stress that it's it's a fantastic neo-noir film. And also one of the best scripts ever written. Really? Is also said about it as well. Yeah. One of the best written scripts. Yeah. Um, now, again, since you know more yeah. about neo-noir than I do, would you say the sequel, which I didn't know there was a sequel. Oh, the two jigs? Is it even worth no. the time? No. I no, had a feeling. <laughs> Considering it no, was made in 1990. It was a long uh, time ago, yeah. 16 years after the original. Yeah, it's sort of like a Godfather Part 3 sort of thing. Uh, you can skip it. Okay. That's all right. Um, now I'm back in Francis Ford Coppola's Bad Graces. <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm seeing that it said it failed to... Uh, to get to the same level as Chinatown. Yeah. Um, it's hard to get up to that level. Chinatown's up there. Mm-hmm. So to to be able to reach that again, it's not the dark night. You can't <laughs> do that again. <laughs> um, so would you say... Uh, would you say that film noir and even neo-noir, it's kind of hard to... And, and I may be way off base here, but so far the films we've been talking about, it feels like with film noir and neo-noir, it's almost hard to make a bad film with it. Um, or, or would you disagree with that? I think that the ones we talk about, we talk about because they're good. Right. Um, we wouldn't, they wouldn't really mention, you know, misses. You know, mm-hmm. like they swung and they missed with this one, you know, and uh, God, no. so we wouldn't really bring it up in our research. Um, I mean, there are some that I mean, I'm sure I have films on my list right here that people don't like. Some people don't like Sin City. What? You know what I mean? Some people don't. I don't know. <laughs> my I dad mean, and I love it. <laughs> there are parts I wish Robert Rodriguez would have done better. But all in all, it's a great movie. Yeah. And it is a Neonor. I mean, yeah. and I feel like someone brought that up to me, and they're like, oh, like Sin City? I was like, yeah. He was right, kind of. <laughs> um, or I think it was a she. Yes, I think it was a she who brought it up. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> oh, boy, here come the letters. Uh, Jeremy apologizes. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> yes, and it's, it is a neo-noir, so okay. he or she was correct in their assumptions. Um <laughs> And it's more of a on the nose, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's obviously incredibly more violent. And yeah, but, but Frank Miller knew what he was doing when he was drawing those images the way he did mm-hmm. in the artwork. So, and and you know, and Robert Rodriguez lifted that directly from yeah. the graphic novel. So exactly. Um, which I think the only colors in it are the uh, the blood. Sometimes, and, yeah. 
the yellow bastard. And there's the there's the the heart shaped bed. Oh yeah, and, right. Huh. Um, and, and there's some dresses and some eyes, and you know, every once in a while there's color, but uh, not all the time. And isn't Jessica Alba kind of not really? In, she's not really in color, uh, but she's more like almost like her color is faded. Like, she's not fully black and white, but... Oh, I see what you mean. Um, yeah, she's less monochromatic than everyone else is. Gotcha. In some points of the movie. Again, they pick and choose when they do that. Because mm-hmm. um, she's supposed to be, like, the, the the guiding light for Bruce Willis kind of thing, sort yeah. of, question mark. Bruce Willis is really good in that movie. Oh, yeah, he's very good. Uh, <laughs> I love... I'm sad that he was funny. only a ghost in the sequel, that he wasn't actually in the sequel. He was just, like, a ghost. That was I did not care for the sequel. So, I, that's what I've heard. Um... Sorry, Robert Rodriguez. Thank you for listening. I did not like this sequel. So. But he loved from from Dust Till Dawn. I did, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We talked about that last time. <laughs> um, it's great. Um, other ones we don't have to talk about a whole bunch is like L.A. Confidential. That's a big neo noir. Okay. A taxi Driver is considered a neo noir as well. I feel like they brought that up in that film too. Oh, which I love Taxi Driver so much. Um, no Country for Old Men. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I have I have thoughts of that movie. A new a noir set in the West, where we are from. Mm-hmm. So there, even Odessa is mentioned. Really? In, in uh, No Country for Old Men. I mean, it's I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be honest. Like I've seen No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Loved it because what stood out to me is there's no music, there's no score. It's all. It's, yeah, there's unless I missed that. Because I was so into the movie. Well, yeah, probably. But um, <laughs> I think there is music, but it's subtle. And well, it's I, it's not meant to be. Hey, listen to this. It's not. Yeah, it's not for that. Well, well, here let, let, let me let me flip that. Um, there's no score. Like yeah. there's music that's playing, but there's no right. score that's actually setting. Right. There's the, no continuous thing to draw your attention back to whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, and, and to, to tell you when you need to feel suspense. Right. Like I know when to feel suspense. It's the entire movie. Yeah. With Javier Bardem and the cattle. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Has that ever been scary before? <laughs> now it is. Now it's the most terrifying thing in the way. Yeah. We could do a whole episode on No Country for Old Men. There's so <laughs> much to unpack. Oh yeah. Um, but it is considered neo-noir. Okay, um, that makes sense. And <sighs> Pretty much anything by David Fincher. Uh, <laughs> I love David Fincher so much. Oh, yeah, we brought that up during Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, number one, Seven. Um, seven if, oh, with, with Brad Pitt. What's in the box? What's in the box? Exactly. What's in the box? Oh, boy. Um, there is, first off, there's never been a better introduction to an antagonist than, than John Doe walking into the police station with his bloody fingertips, letting him know that you're looking for me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, hey, welcome to the party, pal. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. Um, and all of the 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 sin rooms mm-hmm. heavily influenced by German Expressionism. So okay. I mean um they're so detailed, so odd. Um especially the one with the guy in the bed. <laughs> oh, man. That one's crazy. 
well, where he keeps the, he keeps the guy in the bed for a year. I'm I'm gonna be 100 percent honest. Oh no, here we go. Uh, we've never seen Seven. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh boy. I only know of the end. The the the, 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 the thing that everyone knows. What's in the box? You, so you do know what is in the box, but you don't know the events that led to that point. It's gotcha. It's his like wife's head or something. I'm very disappointed in you that you've never seen. Uh, <laughs> um, that's okay. We can move on. Uh, <laughs> I also have Zodiac on here, which okay, is which I've seen Zodiac. Prob I've probably seen that movie. Twenty times. I I've seen it. I've seen it probably about three or four times. It's so so well done, and it's a detective story, right? Mm -hmm. And it's got uh, a th now three Marvel actors in it. That's right. Robert Downey Jr., uh, Mark Ruffalo. God, I was going to say it correctly, and that completely <laughs> screwed me up. His name is Mark Ruffalo. Everyone. Ruffalo. Uh, and now uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, because he's now a part of Marvel. Right. Um, as he's Mysterio. Jake Gyllenhaal. Is, uh, is, is that how you really pronounce his it name? It is. Then why the hell does everyone say Gyllenhaal? Because it's easier, and you don't sound like a, an, a person doing a really weird Swedish accent. <laughs> like an offensive so Swedish So has he stereotype. not corrected anyone? They did. Ugh, this is such an aside. Uh, they There's an episode of Conan. Where, uh, of course it's Conan. And Conan... Jokingly said Yilin Hall, and Jake's like, "That's how you do it. That's it." And, and does he say like why he's never corrected anyone? I think it's just it's the American pronunciation is Jill and Hall. Well, and what about Maggie? Does she correct anyone? I don't know. I'm sure she doesn't care <laughs> I, either. I doubt it. <laughs> Who cares? Um, and according to Stephen Colbert, uh, she's the favorite Jill and Hall. She is a favorite Jill. <laughs> Jake, if you're listening, um, we loved you in Zodiac. Oh, first off, I love you in everything. I well, think yeah, he's he great is, in everything. He is probably, probably one of the greatest actors working today. And if nothing else, for Zodiac and for Prisoners. Which I was kind of hoping we would get back to. We kind of loop get back to Prisoners. To prisoners. Yeah. We can get to Prisoners right now. I okay. love Prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> it is such a dark storyline. Um, everyone I show it to is like, ugh, <laughs> you know, that was depressing. And it's like, yeah, but it was so cool. Yeah, know? like, um, I know I wasn't expecting uh, Hugh Jackman uh, to torture Paul Dano. Oh, Paul Dano. Um, and poor Paul Dano. And side sidebar, um, very underrated actor. Oh, absolutely. Very underrated. Paul Dano, if you're listening, I want to be best friends with you because I love everything you he do. He seems like he would be a great guy to hang out with. Absolutely. Paul um, Dano. Ah, I love uh, Paul Dano. Swiss Army Man, when he tries, yeah, tries to hang himself with his like sh belt. Swiss Army Man <laughs> was a really strange movie, but I liked it. Yeah. And if nothing else, for the Manchester Orchestra uh, music in there. Oh, and... And Daniel Radcliffe pretending to be a dead body the entire movie. Yeah, I could take that or leave that, but I really <laughs> like Paul Dano and I really like Manchester Orchestra. So there you um, go. But anyway, yeah. So like, I wasn't expecting Hugh, like, because I'd seen the trailer and I knew Hugh Jackman was going to go off the rails in the movie. Yeah, he's great. Uh, but I was not expecting um, to when he uh, tortures him with the water. Oh yeah, the water was cool, man. And that was and unique. I he. Paul Dano survives, right? The yeah. torture. It's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah, Paul Dano survives. Because doesn't Jake Gyllenhaal pretty much stop Hugh Jackman from doing it? There's, or I mean, 
kind of in a roundabout way. So, I mean, I don't want to ruin everyone who hasn't seen it. First off, Jake Gyllenhaal is the coolest haircut on any person in alive in that movie. Um, <laughs> it's a weird thing to say, but I really like his haircut. I can't pull it off because my hair doesn't do that. Um, I tried. Um, I didn't feel like combing it backwards, so I. It's just, hard, and it does. It, it's really cool. Um, whoever did the hair did great because you. It's it's a visual of him being disgruntled. <laughs> is when it's in his face. Mm-hmm. I remember the one scene I really remember is when he. Um, I don't I don't care if I spoil it because it's it's an old it's not super old. You've had time to see it. It's nine years old. Um, yeah, um, is when he's he's got the he's got the kids in the back end of his car, but he's like bleeding from oh, the top yeah, of his yeah, head. Yeah. And he's like like hauling ass down the street with his car, yeah. and like blood's pouring down his head. And you are not sure he's going to make it to the hospital on time. And it's oh man, <laughs> Denis Villeneuve, uh, he's he he can't miss that guy. Every movie he's ever made is a knockout hit for me every time. Mm-hmm. Which um, we, we've talked about to Prisoners and uh, Blade Runner 2049. I mean, not to mention Enemy, Arrival, uh, oh, Sicario. Arrival. So. Oh, he did Sicario, which I still haven't seen Sicario. Ah, Sicario's so good! And the I border have... crossing scene? You could, we could do a whole episode of just the border crossing scene. <laughs> uh. <laughs> There's so much in the editing and the tension buildup and the, ah, it's so, so good. That guy knows what he's doing, 100%. Um, sorry. Um, Welcome back to the Denis Villeneuve podcast. <laughs> oh um, so I I've decided to um, really yeah, very interesting. Okay, he's reading right now. Um, I'm sorry. I, I decided because I want to contribute more. Unlike uh, my hateful eight uh, section where I did nothing to contribute. Well, you hadn't seen the movie, so. Well, and I still finished it. I'm, I'm, oh, but you started it. I did start That's it. That's so good. Okay, go. Um, yes, it is. It is very good. Yeah, uh, so I decided I was going to pull up <clears throat> a list um, of films that are classified as neo noir. Okay. Um, and maybe we can give people an inkling to what maybe what they can expect and maybe we can tear apart the not I wouldn't say assumptions but what why we think it is a film neo noir yeah, or I can, film noir or a not I can tie it back to a similar noir movie um, yeah, sure. the first one I it just pulled up neo noir 1989 uh I do not consider this film a neo-noir, but it is a fantastic film. The original Batman. Oh, Batman. Um, which we are now doubling, doubling back I to the beginning. disagree with you. It is a film noir, and it's really just Tim Burton's aesthetic. He is obviously uh, influenced by German Expressionism and, new, and film noirs in the 40s and 50s. Uh-huh. Um, and you can tell just by the set design alone. Well, I mean... Like I can see, like now that I'm older, I can see the 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 motifs of it, you know. Yeah. Because Batman is considered the world's greatest detective. That's right. Um, very very good at sleuthing. Yes. I like that. Word. Um, and Michael Keaton, you know, we talked about Michael Keaton I on Quentin Tarantino. Michael Keaton. Yeah. Um, he he is a fantastic Batman. You know, most would say that he is the original. Batman. Well, Adam West, the original. But, but Adam, Adam. yes, uh, R.I.P. Adam West. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, but the, for me, the reason why I don't consider it a noir film 
has nothing to do with the fact that it's also a superhero film. Mm-hmm. It's, to me, more of a... I would say more of a a, a, a crime drama. Okay. For me, at least. Maybe I'm interpreting it wrong. Um, I don't think so, because... Well, again, it's... Um, film noir isn't really a genre. Right. It's a, it's a collection of stylistic choices and tone. Mm-hmm. So, if you add those up, I do think you get Batman 1989. Right. Um, and, I mean... I mean, you can believe whatever you want. I don't care. But, <laughs> I mean, you're wrong. Who cares? Um, but, well, I'm just kidding. Um, but I do believe that it is, and only because um, it doesn't have to match everything. Like, right. like I said, M doesn't have film fatales, mm-hmm. right? But it's still a film noir. Right. Um, Night of the Hunter isn't a crime. Not really. Um, it's not a detective mystery, but it's still film noir. Right. Because it has a majority of the tropes and style choices. Right. So, yeah. And I mean, and, and, and film is all about interpretation. I'm really glad we got to talk about Night of the Hunter for a second. I really like that movie, too. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. So I'm just going to pause what I, this, because I do want to talk about it. Because like we were talking before we started recording, mm-hmm. I didn't find I couldn't find any film analysis of it. I could have rented it, um, but you know we weren't really going to dive in deep into the movies of film noir Not really. with this. We don't have time with this episode, but I do want to talk about it because we started talking about it, and th- just the story alone was interesting to me. Yeah. A homicidal priest yeah. uh, that has love and hate tattooed on his knuckles. Which is um, why people have that tattooed on their knuckles, by the way. Whether they know it or not, it's because of Night of the Hunter. So, so, so in, in... It's Robert in, Mitchum. God, he's so good. He's such a bad I guy. I almost watched an interview where he was... Just, I'm assuming he's dead now. He is dead now. Yeah. Uh, so I found an interview. I almost watched it of him discussing Night of the Hunter. Mm-hmm. Should have watched it. You really should have. Um, but in your words, what do you think makes... Because all the things I did say were pointing towards Night of the Hunter being a one of the classic... No, I wouldn't say classic. Just a... Just a damn good film noir. Yeah. So, in your words, what do you think really gives that that title of just a great film noir? Okay. Um, number one, it's tone. So mm-hmm. it's it's a really dark storyline. We have this, as you said, homicidal reverend or priest or whatever he is, right? Um, using God to justify his actions, much like Peter Lorre used psychology to justify his actions in M. Mm-hmm. Um, and he comes across this family whose um, father is in jail, but he hid some money somewhere, and he's going to try to find that money. All right? Okay. And he doesn't care who he's got to kill to make that happen. And so that alone makes it a noir, but really it's, you know... On on location shooting, it's mm-hmm. 
I mean, a lot of it's Robert Mitchum's performance. Um, a lot of it's lighting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great shot of this woman who is now taking care of the children in her rocking chair with a rifle or a shotgun or something. I, I did see that scene yeah. where he's outside, and he's outside. singing mm-hmm. and she starts to sing along. Yeah. And it's it's lit to where it's a silhouette of the woman, but we can see Robert Mitchum and outside. So outside is fully lit. Inside is dark. She's just waiting on him. She's waiting on him to make a move so she can take care of him, you know? Right. Um, and it's such that's such a great scene. Another uh, scene I saw yeah. was he's... I guess the only word since I since it was only this specific scene, patrolling. Mm-hmm. The, the house, mm-hmm. the, the farm, I should say. And the children, well, the, the, the sister, I guess, is asleep, and the brother's watching him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, doesn't he ever sleep? And he's, uh, Robert Mitchum's silhouetted. Yeah. And that's all we could see is him on, I guess, the horse or donkey out in the distance. But we're focusing on the children. Yeah. And the boy, without showing... He's scared, but you can tell he's freaked out by this man. And that shot alone, to me, was like, I felt like this is a very powerful scene. And the movie's full of those. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it has one of the greatest dead body reveals of all time (laughs) is, is the woman underneath the lake. Um, and it's a dummy of course right but it it looks so real and it's so scary and her hair is flowing underwater and she's in oh it's so good Uh, if you haven't seen Night of the Hunter you need to um because it's it's a pinnacle of its style and genre, genres in quotes, of course. Because um, it's a horror movie, really. It's not a again, it's not a crime thing, really. It's more of a horror movie than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think and that's something else I came across in my research that um, film noir began to break away from this whole crime drama mystery. Mm-hmm. In the the forties and fifties, they started crossing over into horror and you know westerns. Mm-hmm. Now westerns could be a film noir. Yeah, um, again. And and but, actually, Robert Mitchum's last movie, Dead Man, um, the Jim Jarmusch uh, film from the nineties with um, Johnny Depp, oh. could be considered a western film noir as well. Okay. Yeah, it's also in black and white. I feel like I, I came across that. To tie back to Robert Mitchum. Uh, he was so old in that movie. <laughs> I feel like I came across that. Um, just I was just perusing uh, Johnny Depp films. Yeah. I don't know why. I can't remember why. Uh, but that came up. and It's a good one. And uh, and it, it was like highly rated and I was like, what? what is this? It just added to the Criterion Collection last year. And so it's it's gaining popularity for real. I mean, yeah. Okay. Um, but anyway, Dead Man. Go, <laughs> go watch that too. It's really good. Now, another thing I'm, hap- I'm, I'm noticing, and maybe you might agree with me because I'm, so I'm still looking through this we'll list. see. <laughs> I'm still looking through this list yeah. of new noir films. Mm-hmm. Is this still? Yeah, it's new noir films. Um, and it seems like Hollywood... Now, of course, we can really save this for a uh, uh, another episode. Um, but it seems like Hollywood... Um, 
remade a lot of these new neo-noir films. Like, I came across uh, The Manchurian Candidate from 1962. Yes. Um, I did not realize that the one with uh, Denzel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, was a remake. Oh yeah, the the original has uh, Frank Sinatra in it, oh, and the the. Oh, I want to say Angela Lansbury. Is that right? Um, Is that right? Is it Angela Lansbury? Um. Um. Uh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, All right. You know, uh, Mrs. Potts, <laughs> Beauty and the Beast. Yes, for those of you, <laughs> oh boy, who need to know who we're talking about, it's Mrs. Potts. Uh, she does not look like a tea kettle in <laughs> in the Manchurian Candidate. You know, she resembles a younger murder. She wrote, if you will. Oh. Um, now, so the reason why I bring it up, yeah, is would you say that the reason why they remade it? is because of I'm assuming the original is probably fantastic yeah um, would you say they remade it to kind of recapture that new noir feel or I think just because they wanted to remake it I think it was more the political thriller side of it less oh, okay. than less than noir side <clears throat> less than noir side so um, because the remake was in the 90s early 2000s oh boy this is why we need <laughs> we need we need fact checkers yeah we do need fact checkers sitting right here with us in <laughs> I don't know uh, interns <laughs> unpaid interns <laughs> we're not paid why should they be um yeah. um I guess I can google it but but the, see that's something that I I um 2004 2004 damn yeah, so, again, a lot less noir, a little more political thriller. Oh, it was Jonathan Demme, um, director of Sounds of the Lambs. Oh. That um, I'd forgotten. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to go off on a, uh, a little little bit of a tangent. Is it a Jonathan Demi tangent? To, to bring it back to our first episode about Quentin Tarantino, because okay, I'm fine. still looking through this list. Okay. <laughs> and one of the ones that comes up, 1971, New Noir. <laughs> sweet, sweet backs. Oh, sweet, sweet backs! Badass song That's with, right. uh, with uh, two, four, five S's in yes, badass. Yes, yes, <laughs> sweet, sweet back. Oh, man. Oh boy! So I'm assuming that's the sequel to the Sweet Sweetback. We no, talk. that's it. I that's just, that. One. That's that one. That's it. <laughs> nope, not a sequel. It is this. I had forgotten the uh, the subtitle. Yeah, yeah. It's it's Sweet Sweetback apostrophe badass song. <laughs> yeah, oh, um, Sweet Sweetback. I had completely forgotten about it. <laughs> um, but Tarantino loves Sweet Sweetback. <laughs> um. But one of the main things I'm really noticing about this list, oh, I just, never mind. I'm a dunce. I was about to say, I haven't seen anything past uh, 1989. Oh. And then I realized there was a separate list for the 90s. Oh, boy. Um, I'm uh, trash. So, yeah, well, you're right. We need fact checkers. No, we need fact checkers. Um, we just need people if to anyone look would at the like to webpage. If anyone would like to become a uh, fact checker, unpaid, um, I will pay you in good times. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, you might want to rephrase that one. But okay, not uh, good we, times as in uh, listening to me and Jeremy talk. Well, sure. And sometimes <laughs> other people who are not me will be here. Yeah. I assume. Um, so. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment if you never want me to come back. <laughs> 
or if you want me to be here all the time. Um, Leave comments. I like comments. But you know what? I'm, I'm, now I'm going to uh, intentionally loop it back to our first episode. Because um, I did notice that Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs came up. Yeah. In you and our films. Would you say that... Yeah, I'm noticing it. Yeah, too. The, would you say that the 90s tried to kind of recapture the renaissance of neo-noir films? Because I'm seeing a lot on here that I, you know, I've seen but wouldn't realize would be neo-noir. Like, um, uh, I apologize for this one, uh, Basic Instinct. Oh. I apologize just because of, uh, you know. Yeah, that one is just. Uh, you know, Sharon Stone's uh, vagina. That one's just bringing back Femme Fatales as mm-hmm. a. And I bet you Fatal Attraction might also be on there. Um, uh, I bet you it is. Um, no, it was on the 80s list. Oh, it's that. an 80s movie, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that one is just bringing back the idea of Femme Fatales and making that popular again. And it worked because mm-hmm. they're both very successful movies. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I'm seeing like Fargo on the mm-hmm. list. Um, I love Fargo. I forgot to write that one down. Which, you know, because we well, we talked about the Coen Brothers other movie, uh, No, no Country, Country for Old Men. Um, and they have one that's literally a throwback to film noir, which is The Man Who Wasn't There with Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, I don't know if that one would be on there. <gasps> and Miller's Crossing would also, you know what? I think they just do a lot of those. <laughs> Oh, well, Miller's Crossing came up right yeah. there. Um, but so I, I feel like the more and more I, I've been learning from you about film noir and neo-noir, it seems like after, uh, I would probably say 1950s. The last true neo-noir I have written down uh-huh. uh, was Touch of Evil, 1958. 1958. And that one has a very racist uh, depiction of a Mexican detective played by a white Charlton Heston. Oh, my God. (laughs) And a very, very overweight Orson Welles as the detective. (laughs) Um, So so I'm noticing this trend of especially looking at the films uh, that are considered neo-noir in 1960 to 1980. Mm Mm-hmm of still kind of keeping to the motifs and themes Mm -hmm. of classic film noir. And then I really noticed when we hit the 80s and, uh, sorry, 90s and 2000s, um, well, no, I'm going to focus on the 90s. Uh, They keep less. Yes. And then I noticed in the, when we get to the 2000s era, I'm noticing kind of like, Movies that I may have not seen but I've heard of, like uh, American Gangster with... Um, I love American Gangster. Uh, Denzel. Uh, I literally, yeah, Denzel and... Um, uh, um, Russell Crowe. Son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, Russell Crowe. <laughs> and directed um, by Ridley Scott. Yeah, yeah but looping it back to Blade Runner, um, I would have never suspected would be considered a neo-noir film. I would. I mean, it's more of a biopic than anything, because it's, um, which not to say biopics can't be neo-noir. Yeah, right. Um, they, they keep less of the, of the tropes and the Mm -hmm. styles and the motifs. Um, yeah, it's, it's keeping all of it, keeping all of it. And then, 
eh, we're going to keep this and leave out this. We're going to keep Femme Fatales, but leave out, you know, um, the, the, the shadows and the sets and mm-hmm. the, um, whatever. And over here, we're going to leave out Femme Fatales, but we're going to keep, you know, uh, the black and white style and you right. know, some films like Dead Man or whatever. Right. Um, but you're right. Um, the further the further you keep going to the future from 1958, the less they tend to keep. Mm-hmm. But you can tell things are still heavily influenced like Batman right. in 89. Um, I mean, without German Expressionism, we don't have Batman. Right. We don't have Tim Burton. And... And I'm noticing on the list for the for the new norm films made in the 2000s, two movies that I hold uh, very close to my heart because I love them both. Um, Is one of them Drive? Because I have that one written down. Uh, no, unfortunately, oh, I apologize. Um, I've already I've already shed on myself too much this episode, okay, so I'm, I'm done now. Um, <laughs> In Bruges. Oh, in with, Bruges! In, with Colin Farrell. Yes. And uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Okay, yeah. Um, and more so Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I can definitely see as the Neon Noir film, because we have the detective story mm-hmm. of uh, Robert Downey Jr. as, um, I can't remember his character's That's name. That's fine. Uh, uh, and uh, Val Kilmer as Gay Perry. I, love I will <laughs> always remember that character's I, name. I love Val Kilmer in that um, movie so much. Then we have uh, Michelle uh, Monaghan. Monaghan? Um, yeah, mon- I don't mon- remember, whatever. But she was a true detective, yeah. No. Um, as the femme fatale, mm-hmm. um, but we don't have the shadows. No. Um, I mean, the majority of the movie does take place at night. I'll I'll tell you this: it's it pays homage, mm-hmm. homage, however you want to say it, <laughs> to those by by referencing the t- detective stories that they used to read when they were kids. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the the sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hey, this is a noir movie. You know, this is right. sort of our take of a meta noir movie. Which right. Just kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Well, and you know, and Shane Black he wrote it mm-hmm. and directed it, and I love Shane Black. Yeah. Uh, and I also wonder if um, <sighs> Nice Guys is on here. I do really like Nice Guys. It is not a lot. Okay. No. Oh, I, like, I like that movie a lot. Yes. Um, but, like, kind of what, what you're saying with with when we get further and further away, because, like, I felt like looking at looking over the list of the movies that are classified neo-noir in the 60s to late 80s, mm-hmm. I feel like we still have all the motifs and the themes of film noir, but then once we hit 90s yeah. is when what you're talking about of, well, we're going to keep this, but we're going to leave that out. We're going to yeah. keep this, and you know, and just they kind of hop back and forth. And then with the 2000s, I feel like some people, some directors um, wanted to go full-on pay homage to original mm-hmm. film noir. Yeah. Uh, like I just mentioned, uh, American Gangster. I felt it, I had. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Yeah, it's really good. But I feel like that. I mean, yes, it's in color. Yeah. But I feel like it really pays homage to. There, there are two movies that I can think of right now by the same person that uses color like crazy. Mm-hmm. Yet I think it's more neo noir than something like Sin City, which is. Drive and Only God Forgives by Nicholas Winding Refn. Okay. Um, in those, I mean, yeah, it's it's in full color and there's neon and there's right. I mean, it's 
It's really bright. Mm-hmm. Um, but we keep... Uh, we keep mystery. We keep setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Drive, it's Los Angeles. In Only God Forgives... Oh, boy, I don't remember. Taiwan? <laughs> um, oh, boy, I don't remember. Um, and we keep crime in there. We keep several aspects in and only God forgives the fin fatale would be his mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't Ellen Burstyn. I don't remember who the mom was played by. Anyway, don't matter. Um, but I love Nicholas winding Refn. Uh, he's fantastic. His last movie I think was the neon demon, but he's got one with miles okay. Teller coming out. It's a Netflix series, uh, called too young, too young to die or something. It okay. looks crazy good. Um, anyway, I think he is heavily influenced by these noir films and, and really kept a lot of the motifs. That, mm-hmm. um, and like you said, up until this point, people were really just keeping one or two things right? and saying, eh, it's kind of, you know, but this one was, and both of these are fantastic movies. If you haven't seen either of those, do yourself a favor. Nicholas winding reference drive, and only God forgives, both right. with Ryan Gosling. Right, and um, one of the one of the things I want to leave uh, um, leave with. I'm done talking about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Well, I love Kiss is, Kiss Bang Bang. I mean, it's a great film. Yeah, it's great. Everyone should watch it. Yeah. Um, not only for Robert Downey Jr., but Val Kilmer, Gay Perry, oh, one of the Kilmer. best characters. Because all right, I just, I have to splurge just on on that character alone. Take your time. That he. <laughs> Talking about like early on about the the, the moral ambu- am- ambiguity, fucking hell. You're doing great. Um, you know of of early uh, noir films yeah. of the character flipping that. Uh-huh. I feel like Gay <laughs> Perry straddles that line, but not with his morals. But is he straight or is he gay? Because <laughs> the whole film. He's hopping that line. Like, he tells Robert Jr., like, oh, no, no, I'm straight, but uh, I just keep the name. But then, like, when they're in the hospital at the end of the movie, um, kind of recovering from Corbin Benson's everything, uh, a male nurse walks by, and he's like, oh, and Robert Jr.'s like, oh, you want to take a look at that, right? And they're like, yeah. (laughs) And so just... And so kind of what uh, the point I want to leave on with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is I definitely feel like uh, Shane Black uh, paid like what you're saying, paying homage mm-hmm. to uh, original uh, noir films. But I feel like and correct me if I'm wrong. I I do. I agree with you. I like I that we disagree. I'm correcting you on things, which I apologize. <laughs> I do it all the time. Um, I felt like it was the first time. I'm probably going to shoot myself in the foot saying it. But I thought it was the first time that uh, a, a, a neo-noir film had that amount of comedy in it. Ooh, good question. Because... Was that 02? 05. Uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. 05. Okay. Um, because... You may be right. The, the film is fantastic. Uh, but... You know, as I was saying, it works as a detective story. It's fucking hilarious. It is really funny. The whole yeah. movie is so funny. It is so funny. Um, and yeah, those are scenes that keep you on the edge of your seat. Like, you know, because you're trying to figure it out with them. Yeah. With Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer. Right. Um, 
but you're still like laughing at everything. Like, um, I'm trying to think of one of the uh, one of my favorite parts where it just it gets me every time. Uh, I think at the beginning of the movie when Robert Downey Jr. gets in the fight with the guy yeah because uh, he's behaving inappropriately towards Michelle right and he tells him like you know we'll, we'll go outside right now and then just beats the shit out of him <laughs> yeah, and just <laughs> leaves him there yeah um and just the comedy of that is just so good um and I think I I think I stumped you by saying it had that much comedy in it. Yeah, I, then, I was, I'm trying to think of another... I'm, I'm sure you're right. I, I can't think of any, you know, sort of neo-noir films that have comedy in them before that. Because then when we get to, and I mentioned it earlier, In Bruges... I love In 2008. Bruges so um, much. And it does keep similar formulas mm-hmm. from Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Mm-hmm. And it does... And my, my Uncle Roy and I... We love In Bruges. It's, and it's he was so the one good. that got me on In Bruges. He was like, dude, you need to see this movie. It's it's really funny. And it's dark funny. Like it's it's oh, dark yeah. humor, right? And my favorite part of the whole movie is they're sitting and of course Colin Farrell hates it there, right? He's he's having such a horrible time. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and he's he, these Americans stand in front of him and they're heavy set, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, Where are you guys going? And they're like, well, we're going to go up in that tower. He goes, oh, you can't go in there. <laughs> he goes, why? He goes, well, you're too fat to fit in there. You can't fit up the stairs. And they're like, what did you just say to me? He goes, no, you're too fat. No, no, don't go in there. You're too fat. And his friend walks out of the tower and he goes, what's up with them? And he was like, they're going up to the tower. He goes, oh, they can't do that. Hey, you guys are too fat to fit up in there. And it's so fun. <laughs> I, think, I think one of my favorite parts of that is... Um, uh, just Ray Fiennes. Yeah, Ray Fiennes uh, is fantastic. Voldemort, if anyone doesn't know who Ray Fiennes is, Voldemort. Yeah. Uh, he shows up in Harry Potter 4. He kills a few Jews in, um, in Schindler's List, though. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. right. He does. Just a few. Jesus. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, but my favorite part with him is when he's always on the phone. Yeah. And did you fucking hang up on me? <laughs> or like when he slams the phone down and like shatters it at his, uh, it's just like his daughter's birthday, right? Yeah. And, and he, like his right. wife is standing right there and she's like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> um, yeah. In Bruges. So <laughs> but like kind of going back to that, uh, what you're saying about how new noir, especially much later, were taking things out. And then going back to how film noir you know classic film noir were tackling different genres yeah and becoming noir films I feel like with neo-noir and of course I'm learning this all on the spot I hope people don't think I've just been hoarding this knowledge (laughs) and decided now like oh yeah I know what we're talking about now right um but I feel like with neo-noir not only did they want to cross genres like or classic film noir mm-hmm. but they wanted to cross kind of and then, and I already said it but like what you're saying take you know removing and taking you know give and take right. um, of incorporating you know like with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and in Bruges incorporating dark comedy and yeah. um, uh, but still keeping to the noir aesthetic yeah um, I would agree with that yeah. Uh, now another another movie I really want to talk about. Okay. Because I've never seen it. Ooh. And I know I know you're gonna 
Maybe I haven't seen it. You don't know. I know you've seen this movie. We'll we'll find out. uh, And I know you're probably going to yell at me once we're done. Maybe. Um, But I really want to talk about Memento. I love Memento. It's on my list. I have Memento slash following. um, Because following was the the first film Nolan did. And then it was Memento. Um, Really? And I would say following's more new. Well, it's in black and white. Um, okay. And it's about this guy who, for fun, he follows people around. Um, That's it? Just Or does he kill them? No, he just follows people. He likes it. He <laughs> likes seeing what people's lives are like and what they do on a daily basis. And But he gets caught up. He follows the wrong guy. And he sees it's, it's you know, and it has a fin for town. <laughs> okay. And uh, he gets caught up in this mystery and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, following's fantastic. But Memento is amazing. Yeah, and yeah, you're right. I am going to yell at you after this because <laughs> you haven't seen Memento. What's the matter with you? Um, but the reason why I bring up Memento and uh, looping back again to our first episode, bringing up that channel Aliens Guide, they they did a thing on it. Uh, a whole, you know, on analysis, an analysis on Memento. Okay. And... It left me with like a lot of questions, and instead of well, so does the movie. Yeah, and instead of just watching the movie uh, like a pleb, I just I guess decided. I mean, unconsciously, you know, seeing this episode six months ago, mm-hmm. you know, unconsciously decided to wait to ask you. Oh, okay. I guess. Um, so what? What would you? Do? You know what? Just break it down for me with this film. Why? Okay. Because um, I know, I know the, I know the bare minimum. So that he has amnesia. Uh-huh. Well, no, it's not amnesia. He has um. It's a it's a weird kind of amnesia. It's like retrograde, blah 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 amnesia. Something weird. He it, says it a few times in the movie. That can't remember. Yeah, and I know that the film is played in, played in, is it played in reverse? Kind of. So yes, uh, the color. I know, it, I know it shifts back and forth between black and white and yeah. color. The color is played in reverse. Okay. The black and whites are played in order. Okay. Uh, so he's on the phone with someone. We don't know who he's on the phone with. And okay. later you find out neither does he. Um, in talking about, you know, it's so hard to... <laughs> <laughs> It's so hard to, to simplify this movie because it's so complex. Um, I was about to say, did I just like nah, it's break fine. you? Yeah, maybe a little bit because it's really difficult. And there is a chart that you can find, I think, on IMDb in the trivia where you can see how the timeline works. Okay. And what order is what. And it's done A through F or something. And it goes, it goes A, B, C, right. And then it goes B, D, F, whatever. So it's insane. Um and it's, you know, his wife was murdered and, you know, raped and murdered in front of him. And he was hit in the head so hard. He has this amnesia thing. And so to keep track of it, all he has tattoos. Okay. okay. Of how he can catch this guy. Mm-hmm. And so he has on his leg facts. Right. Fact one. Um, I, I really wish I could remember the guy's <laughs> name. Anyway, uh, it's like a license plate number. Gotcha. Fact two, it's an address. You know, fact three, it's, you know, a description of the man, you know, and he has all, I mean, to keep track because he can't make new memories. So he has to get them tattooed on him so he can remember. And we meet this guy, Teddy, and 
throughout the movie, we're deciding we can't really trust Teddy, right? Isn't that uh, Joe Pantaleone? Yes. Yeah, we can't. also good at playing non-Italians. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's not. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it's just such a complex movie, but uh, Femme Fatale is there. It's the woman who is in The Matrix. Carrie Ann Moss. Thank you. Um, and we can't really trust her either. Not really. And the reason we can't trust anyone is because we are with Leonard. Leonard doesn't know who these people are. He can't remember how he knows them, and neither do we. And so slowly we get sort of the the gist. Okay. I mean, it takes a couple of viewings, and it takes some reading about it, for me anyway, to get really what's going on. But it's definitely worth your time. Yeah, because, like, um, one of the big things I wanted to bring up in it, and I feel like now people are going to make, okay, you're not talking about noir anymore. You're talking about this specific film, but I think it harkens back to noir um, is the ending because they, they talked about that in the analysis on the aliens guide is, you know, we, at the end of the film, we see him with his wife Mm -hmm. with a tattoo that says, I did it. Even though there was a picture of him pointing, like once he figures it out, he's going to get that. Yeah. Um, What would, would you say that that was a, um, a uh, uh, a kindness that Christopher Nolan did for the audience, or do you think he did it to fl- make you not understand what the hell just happened? Well, I'm having a hard time remembering that in the end, because um, at the end, or maybe it's not at the end. Yeah, it's. I don't think it is. Um, I think we're meant to believe he got him a long time ago. Okay. I think. Oh, my God. I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I need to go back and watch it again, even though I've seen it several times. And I haven't read the short story yet, um, which is Memento More, which is written by Jonathan Nolan. Okay. Um, and I th- and we just and he never he can never remember that he actually did it. You know, and he's and it's depressing and where he's set to keep perseverating about it and keep, you know, on this never ending quest that he's already that he's already fixed, that he's already solved. Um, I think, (laughs) (laughs) again, it's very complicated. And we we closed the movie, I think, in the middle or something. And the last line is, all right, where was I? (laughs) <laughs> you know, and he's because we get narration, uh, which helps a little. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I saw the diagram you're talking about. That the alone, diagram's crazy. That alone, just I was like, what the hell am I looking at I here? The diagram's nuts because we will we'll start we'll start at this scene where he's in the bathroom mm-hmm. and he he has a bottle an empty liquor bottle with him and he's thinking he goes alright I don't feel drunk so I must not be why do I have this bottle Why? where am I what's going on and then in the next scene we we end with him grabbing the bottle and going into the bathroom so we know eventually why he was in the bathroom why he has the bottle but we had to wait a scene to get there because we're going okay. backwards. Okay. It's very complicated, I know. Since I pretty much uh, just broke you trying yes, to... so hard. I hate <laughs> figure it out. 
how would you say um, that how that, that formula that Chris Nolan uses, how does that work into the noir well, neo noir it is aspect an overwhelming mystery okay. number one um, would you say would you say Leonard is our obviously our detective yeah he, he is our sleuth we are I love that word we <laughs> there there is a are, are you saying that people should now refer to PIs as sleuths absolutely no that, that the PI should say sleuth on their door uh huh and, and that old school like 50s lettering too yeah on the glass frosted door <laughs> it should say sleuth sleuth <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there is a television channel that plays um uh that plays like you know yeah procedural detective shows and uh-huh. it's called sleuth so that's awesome <laughs> i know anyway, it's um, psych is on that show yeah. anyway uh-huh. i know how much you like that show anyway yeah. um it's just an overwhelming mystery memento okay. um and again we have this woman we can't trust in the matrix lady and you told me her name i don't Jerry remember moss thank you and <laughs> And we're not sure if we should trust her, so that makes her a femme fatale at the moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have this this murder he's trying to solve, which mm-hmm. is his wife's. So automatically, there's another trope there, right? Um, and it's oh man, he's even wearing a suit, <laughs> you know, in the movie. Well, and 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 you said it, and there was something I wanted to talk about too in my research that I did. Um, so we, you know, in Memento, you talked about that his wife is murdered, mm-hmm. um, and that adds to the story. Um, I wanted to talk about how it's usually an action that I learned uh, for the film noir that propels our character forward. Something, yeah, in that character's life <laughs> propels him forward, and that's where we get our story and why. I'm trying to find where I wrote it down because I did write that down. That it, it's a decision. That is made by the character. Mm, how um, how a video I watched last night put it is the decision uh, is made by the character mm-hmm. because he has no other choice to make that decision. Uh, they use Sunset Boulevard as the example. Okay. Um, I can't remember the character. Out of the past. Uh, the, I can't remember the character's name. Uh, the screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Uh, um I'm getting it up uh, right now. Um, Joe Gillis. Uh-huh. Uh, William Holden. Yeah. The character's name is Joe Gillis. Joe, Joe Gillis. Right. He is William Holden. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you know, he's uh, in debt mm-hmm. to some pretty... Uh, they don't really say who he's in debt to, just some pretty nasty people. Mm. Yeah. I'm assuming it's probably mobsters. You know, it's, it was the 50s. Of course it's probably mobsters. It's always mobsters, man. Um, They're everywhere at the 50s. <laughs> um, so he's in debt. Mm. Um, and so he has no choice but to leave Ohio and go to Los Angeles mm-hmm. and uh, shack up with uh, when we, we talked about uh, Gloria Swanson's character, uh, Norma, and pretty much shack up with her and her. Um, is it like the the in law house that they put him in? Yeah, it's a guest house. Yeah, yeah. in law house is probably um, era appropriate. Yeah, for for him to I guess. Do they say what project he's working on, or he just keeps saying I'm work I'm, I'm writing? I don't think they they go into detail. He's just he's writing. just he's just writing. Um, but so they talked about how he then everything after that. 
um, Joe is not given a choice. Mm-hmm. That Norma makes the choices for him. Yeah. Until he finally decides, I'm done with this. I'm leaving you. I'm going back to Ohio. Yeah. And what happens? He gets shot in the back. Yeah. And, and so... You've had time to see it. It's so <laughs> the, the, the film is from 1950. They're like, oh, it, it's and uh, no joke intended. It's 69 years old. It is. Uh, yeah. Um, 1950. Yeah. You have no, you, no uh, reason to come up to me or Jeremy and complain to us that we spoiled Sunset Boulevard. Although you can. It's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll apologize anyway. <laughs> I'm um, weak. I will apologize to you. Um... But that's something in that in that video I watched uh, explaining uh, film noir is that these characters are given a choice, and he mainly, like I said, he mainly used Sunset Boulevard as the example. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're given a choice, and that's what propels the story in motion. Yeah, for our detective, screenwriter, lawyer character for this noir. Yeah. Uh, in in John Lewis's book, he he cites out of the past and double indemnity for these. Uh, he's talking about the single bad decision, you know, that changes the lives of the characters. Right? It's a uh-huh. it's it's a reckless moment for them, and right. it really catapults the story forward. Um, because this one decision, you could argue, um, and I will right now. <laughs> that uh, Breaking Bad is the same way. If you've ever seen Breaking Bad, oh, yeah. he makes that one decision, and you can, and I've heard other people talk about this, you can track from the finale, track his decisions to the pilot, and all of them track back to that first one. That he is going to... Let's go to Jesse, let's make... Let's cook meth. Yeah. And, or, or how he words it, uh, want to cook? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's... And you can track it. And so I would say that Breaking Bad is sort of the long-form neo-noir just because it's this one decision that Mm -hmm. was pretty reckless, you would say, Mm -hmm. um, catapulted this chain of events that eventually led to um, his downfall. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and and that's that's something else that they talked about is is the, the fall. Yeah. Of the character. You know, they said typically it, it, it's death typically. that followed noir is death follows the character. Yeah. But not all the time. It's, you know, um, unlo- you know, like unluckiness or financial li- ruin. Yeah, fi- yeah. Financial ruin. And the killing anyway. Um, losing losing love or something like that, you know. But there's always the downfall. There's the, you said it perfectly, the bad decision. Yeah. And then the downfall is inevitably always going to happen. Right. Um, what would you say is a film... I mean, all, I, f- I feel like all the films we've talked about, especially the ones that are considered noir from, from the 50s... Mm-hmm. Um, but which one would you say does it perfectly? Does the the one bad decision we track the 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 the, the hero story and then we get to the downfall? Hmm. Um, I know that one's kind of a nail biter. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, um, I don't know. I'll while while you ponder, yeah, I'll go I ahead will. and give mine, and I'm sure it's yeah. I'll ponder about it. Um, I'm sure it's uh, um, pretty obvious for you. I mean, unless you've 
haven't been, <laughs> been paying attention to what I've said. If you're just joining us, I um, think they can do that. For me, it, it was Sunset Boulevard because, like I said, it's um, it, it was the first noir film I'd ever seen, the first black and white film I'd ever seen. And for me, at least, it did it does it perfectly because we have Joe Gillis. And like we talked about, you know, his one bad decision is to leave Ohio to get away from the creditors or mobsters or whatever and uh, shack up in uh, Los Angeles at uh, Norma Desmond's house. Mm. And then, yeah, sure, for a while, everything was fun for him because she pretty much became... uh, you know his, uh, his, his sugar mama you know she was taking him to expensive parties you know he was living in the house uh, later on in the film um, instead of in the in-law house he was living in the house she was buying him clothes she was taking him to fancy restaurants but then when he starts to notice her uh, mental deterioration mm-hmm. is when he decides okay I, I can't do this anymore I'm not going to do this anymore they don't say if he paid off his debts, did he? I don't remember. It's been forever. I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. Let's just go ahead and say he does. That's why he decides to uh, to go back to Ohio. Um, and something that came that in in preparation for this that when I watched that video of of the breakdown of film noir. Um, and it's a scene I forgot about. She shows him the gun. Yeah. And a rational thinking person uh, would be red flag. Um, it's a um, it's a theater production tradition where if you show a gun mm-hmm. in the first act, it needs to go off by the third. Okay. And so if you've and you'll notice the rest of your life now, if you uh, if you watch something and they and they show you a gun in the first 30 minutes, it's going to go off by the end of the movie. Okay. Um, and so that's what that is. By the well, way. well, yeah, but she doesn't show him the gun till the end of the movie. Right. But, you know, she's holding it in her hands. Mm-hmm. And, you know, instead of, I don't know, overpowering this not necessarily feeble old woman, I mean, but taking the gun away and getting on with his life. Yeah. I guess I, you would say Joe makes two bad decisions. He yeah. still chooses to walk away from her yeah. and gets shot in the back and dies in her pool. Yeah. Um, Poor Joe. But for me, that... I wouldn't say the epitome, but for me, that Sunset Boulevard really shows the the one bad choice leading to our hero's downfall. Yeah. Um, Still think. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go a different direction. Okay. So we won't go death this time. We're going to go... It just didn't work. Okay. And we're going to go The Killing, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Okay, yeah. Uh, and Stanley we were, Kubrick. And we were talking about that, that um, before we started. Yeah. Uh, Stanley Kubrick, 1956. Um, I mean, it's not... You know, you wouldn't consider it... Most people wouldn't be like, oh... Stanley Kubrick, Stanley, uh, the killing, right? Because no. it's uh, it's one of his first movies, isn't it? Uh huh. Yeah, it's. I don't remember if it was before or after Paths of Glory. It really doesn't matter. Anyway, <laughs> um, and it was before Spartacus, so I can tell you that. Um, because that was 1960. Anyway, so it's a 
and you know we talked about it last time I love heist films and this mm-hmm. is what this is right they're gonna rob a racetrack right and fun fact about heist films of the 50s they were not legally allowed to get away with it really yeah um, <laughs> to pass uh, uh, to get a passing grade for production for the rating they can't get away they can't get away with it I'm assuming because back in the 50s they didn't want to make uh, crime cool I guess so or so they just weren't allowed they, they can't get away with it so okay um, it makes kind of sense. And knowing that, watching the movie, it's kind of like, oh, they're not going to get away with it, but let's see how close they get, <laughs> you know? Which, from the, the film analysis I watched of it, they get pretty close. They get really close. They get stupid close. They're almost on the plane, all right? <laughs> so you have Sterling Hayden, and he's sort of the ringleader. He's mm-hmm. sort of the Danny Ocean of the group. Compiling all these people together, planning to rob this, uh, this racetrack. Mm-hmm. They pull it off. They get away with it. They have the money. They're going to the airport, and the obviously shenanigans happens in between there, right? I'm yada yadaing a lot of it. <laughs> but the the suitcase falls off the trolley outside, uh-huh. and all the money flies out. Of course, and all the money's blown away, and they don't. And the cops show up. They know it's their suitcase. They don't get away with it. It's it's a bummer. <laughs> Because <laughs> they work so hard at it, you watch them do it, you know? Yeah, and and something that we were talking about, again, uh, before we started recording, about the killing, yeah. is that um, Stanley Kubrick did something interesting uh, for his, for his uh, film, kind of different from other noir films of that time. He didn't use... For the uh, interior shots, he didn't use stage lighting. Right. He used the lighting that was in the room, so lamps mm-hmm. and... Lamps. Yeah, just lamps. <laughs> lamps and windows. Because um, they... The the guy who did it, um, the guy who did the, the film analysis of it, uh, was talking about a tracking shot um, of one of the characters, and... I want to say he... I watched this last night. I don't know why I can't remember what was happening in the scene. Um, But they... I guess they're talking. Mm -hmm. And we're we're following them as they go from one part of the room. Lights are off their face now to another part. But we can still see them in in their silhouettes. Yeah. And then they get relit by that lamp in that room. Yeah. And... The guy mentions how the film was not a commercial success uh, for its time. Sorry, I was shaking my head. Sorry, I, I can't. <laughs> no one can see me. Sorry. I should wear bells. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, I should wear bells. <laughs> now nah, we don't need that many angels getting their wings, man. Okay, now, okay. Uh, oh, it's man. a Wonderful Life. Yeah, I mean that was a that was a <laughs> stupid reference. <laughs> not all those angels deserve wings. Um, anyway, but it was a critical success. Yeah. Um, critics loved it. Yeah. Um, which could be said about movies now. Anyway, that's that's another topic for another episode. Um, but the guy pointed out specifically the reason why it was a commercial success was because of the choices of Stanley Kubrick and his choices of lighting. Okay. Um, I mean... Since I haven't seen the film, so good. I would say that yeah, the lighting was 
I you haven't I haven't seen a film with lighting like that. Yeah. Where we're tracking our characters through the light into the darkness. We're still following them. We're still understanding what's happening in the scene yeah. to another lit part of the scene. And it's a huge nightmare to do that, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, just logistically, it's hard. Uh, I remember watching something about the West Wing, and they did a lot of tracking shots with people talking because mm-hmm. um, Sorkin loves to have people walk and talk. And mm-hmm. it, they said it was fine, but the issue, not number one, was the actors not screwing it up and they have to restart. But number two was the lighting and because they had to keep them lit relatively the same from one room to the other. And we're going down long hallways. So even in the nineties, it's in early two thousands, it was 99. It's super hard. So to do it in 56, good job, you know, or whoever did the cinematography. Um, and kind of like, uh, you know, what you're saying about like how it was, you know, it's even hard to do now. Like kind of talking about Birdman, uh, you know, yeah. Alejandro Iñárritu, you know, a lot of tracking, yeah. walking and talking shots. Yeah. And I remember watching the bloopers. No, not the bloopers. I'm sorry. Um, the cast interviews and Emma Stone was talking about one scene. Uh, it was her, Edward Norton, and Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. It's when Michael Keaton was. Kind of auditioning uh, Edward Norton's character for oh, the right. play, right, right, right. and she comes in. Well, apparently, she was saying how Zach Galifianakis was on the other side of the stage, fucking with her, and she was trying to stay in the scene. He was the one that screwed up the least amount of times. That dude. I, is yeah, really I heard that good. he didn't like. He was he the only one who didn't mess up, but he kept fucking with everyone yeah. else. Because um, why not? And she was saying how like. You know they they're, they're you know they're doing their dialogue, and then they're going to turn around and start walking through the the theater, the cavalcade of of you know the hallways and tunnels and things because mm-hmm. it's upstage anyway. Go ahead. Yeah, and and you know and she's trying to stay in the scene while Zach's over there. I think he was just making faces. Yeah, and because oh, I think Alejandro said that they wanted to use a. a uh, least amount of takes as possible to to get these tracking shots. So that was my jump in for for this. Well, yeah, because it's hard. Yeah, and 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 I saw one of the other tracking shots in the killing where I guess they're at the derby mm-hmm. and one of the characters is going through the locker room. Yeah, and the camera is following him perfectly, and he's going under each. Uh, lamp yeah. that's hanging from the ceiling and the camera's even going behind the lockers yeah. tracking him and yeah I would say you know 2000s and 90s hard to do and the fact that Stanley Kubrick did it with a black and white film yeah. and it still stayed just as powerful because when I was watching that I was like wow that's yeah. there's no way that that was it's hard I'm telling you, man, um, he's he's an up and comer for sure. Watch out for this guy. His name's Stanley Kubrick. He's he's really good. Just skip the movie AI because that's. I I like AI actually. Well, (laughs) so do I. So do I. It's a good good film, but uh, I know it's not really his. After a while, you're right. I know because didn't um, Uh, he didn't even. We're off on a tangent, but I really I just want to get a little bit of edge word in wise with this film. Yeah, uh, he started production. Yeah, but then, then he then was he getting sick, yeah. 
And then, and then Steven took over, yeah. right? And Spielberg took over, yeah. Right. Because I can't call him Steve. I don't know. I mean, I'm him, so I can't be like, yeah, Steve. Steve uh, hey, Steve. Steve uh, took over production, <laughs> bruh, and it was tight, you know? <laughs> I don't know Steve. I don't know Steven Spielberg, so I can't say that. But, um, uh, but, uh, but Stanley Kubrick didn't, he didn't really even start filming before he died, no. right? He was just in pre-production yeah. for it. Yeah. Because it wasn't his last thing was he wanted Steven to take it over. Yeah. Because I heard something that he specifically was like, I want Steven to do this. Yeah, which which is fine because I like that his last movie was Eyes Wide Shut and I really like Eyes Wide Shut. So I've heard Eyes Wide Shut is uh, intense yeah, of it a is. film. Yeah, like camping. Because camping is intense. Oh, nailed it. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, so so welcome back to um, the pun yeah. podcast. Oh, boy. Well, we make terrible puns um, for two hours straight. It's all it is it. is just puns. I nailed it. I nailed that pun. <laughs> anyway. Um, um, but so, so... Film noir. So flipping back to the film noir, um, would you say it's... You know, because we've been—I feel like we've really got the point across that it is not a specific genre; no. it's a style of yeah. filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my research, the last—the video I watched last night—the um, narrator made a very odd point, and I want to get your take on it, especially since we've been talking about new noir and film noir. He said that once it was classified as a quote-unquote genre mm-hmm. is when it began to die out. And then that's when we get into neo-noir. Um, would you uh, agree with that, or would you say that it never uh, really lost its... Well, no, probably, because we we probably wouldn't have called it film noir until... Oh, man, I used to know the date, too. Someone's going to listen to this and be like, eh, I know the date. And I'm like, yeah, I know you know. But, you know, um... <laughs> It wasn't right away. So these right. these films were already made mm-hmm. when we got the uh, when we got the term film noir. Right. Uh, I I like to say it was like the the mid fifties when we got the. I and, feel like which I mean, and then fifty eight was the last one, and then we have neo noir. So I would agree with that, and I it might not be on purpose. It it might just have been like, hey, we finally got a name for it. It's like, yeah, but they're done, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it could just be like, um, you know, let's give it a name and they're bringing it to the forefront of people's consciousness. And then they're like, ah, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I don't want to do that. It could be something like that. Right. I, doubt it. I mean, that's kind of how, in, how I interpreted it when he said it. I was like, yeah, I bet you un- subconsciously they, they didn't know that they were making Noir. No. They were just making the film. That's right. And then now that there's this term for it, like, oh, that's what we were doing. I don't really want to do that anymore. Because like you were saying, you know, 58 was kind of the last official noir yeah. before we get into neo-noir, <laughs> yeah. uh, which uh, which we said what film, uh, you know, noir meant, but we hadn't said what neo-noir, it's new black. Oh, right. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it's new <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's anything after 1960. Sorry, guys. Um, Sorry, Mom. But, uh, you know, and then that's when we get it. Uh, so that's 
you kind of the same, you know, I think we're kind of agreeing on the same point that once it was kind of given a classification of film, people, for me at least, I felt like people were, were looking at it like, oh, so that's what we've been doing. I think that's a, that could be a theory. Also, mm. I think it just could be, a, you know, it's just a coincidence. Right. That it's given a name, but we're kind of, we're kind of moving on. You mm-hmm. know, Hollywood's kind of, you know, it's like, let's do some Technicolor stuff and let's right. do, again, this is a couple of decades of this. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. they might have just been done. Yeah. So I would say, me personally, I would say it's a coincidence. Yeah, because yeah, because you know once you get to the sixties, you you we get into more, you know that's during, you know the, the quote unquote hippie movement, you know, and times were changing. So I I would say, with the changing of the times, um, film had to change with that. Yeah, which is how we got noir in the first place. Exactly, and so, but since this was a new change. I think is why we got the term neo-noir rather than they just step, stuck with, well, right. we're, we're making, we're still making noir. Right. Um, and I'm assuming you would probably agree with that as well. Yeah. Sure. I, I don't see any problem with what you just said. <laughs> Even though I had a, you know. Uh, but I have to think if I was listening. Long-winded explanation <laughs> for it. Yeah. You know, um, had, had to do the, uh, the Bill Ingvall level of, uh, Explaining, uh, explaining. You know, here's my point, and then this making a circle with my finger. This is how yeah. I get back to my point. Yeah, sorry, Billingwell. <laughs> we love you. Well, I love you. I don't know how Jeremy feels about no, you. No, I really do. He, uh, <laughs> but actually, he introduced me to Nate Bergazzi, which uh, he. This is such a side. Sorry, guys. Um, Nate Bergazzi has a, a new Netflix special out right now, and it's hilarious. He opened for Billingwell the last time I saw him here in Midland. So, oh, nice. Um, and that was years ago. So, kind of to, um, kind of in conclusion, I sure. guess. Yeah. It is time for an in conclusion. Because, yeah, we're, we're, I'm sure everyone's like, get, get, just get to the point. I'm also running out of shit to say. <laughs> um, would you say, th- I mean, I, I'm pretty sure we've driven the point home that film noir kind of paved the way for how we perceive Maybe maybe I'm putting too much on this, but how we perceive movies, not necessarily movies per se, uh, characters and 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 dialogue and uh, sets. Yeah, I, I would say that you know with Caligari 1920 or 1919. Again, I don't know. I uh, wasn't there. Um, I would say that was a watershed moment for sure. It really mm-hmm. did change a lot. Right. Um, and then going in with M, another watershed moment, mm-hmm. and then everything after. So we, yeah, I would say that in a roundabout way, film noir sort of changed the way we see crime films, especially. Okay. Um, and having us pay more attention to you know mood, lighting, sets. Mm-hmm. So you're right. I, I would I would say you know it's a huge part of American film history, and, and would which you is say, why it's in my history book. And would you say even now, um, even if a film isn't classified as neo noir, it still has these 
aspects of classic noir films. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Or or maybe not necessarily aspects, but, you know, they saw what this happened. Right. And they're emulating that in in the film. Yeah. Now, it is. Yeah, I would say that you know, probably not even on purpose. I mean, you would just have to, you know, Mm -hmm. in a crime film, pick some of this stuff. Um, And not having to call it neo-noir because it's only choosing one thing. One thing a noir film does not make. You need most. Um, But it would be... It would be really hard to make a crime film without one of these things. Mm-hmm. Number one being the crime aspect. So <laughs> uh, that would be difficult. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Film noir, again, one of my favorite styles of film and really revolutionized American filmmaking forever. So oh, yeah, I, I would say anyone out there listening, um, I understand black and white film has a, a stigma to it you know a lot of people want color but anyone there listening you know go and check out at least one of the films we mentioned you know like I said I've only really seen one but I feel like one will get you hooked and for sure send you down this kind of rabbit hole yeah um and I think we all should at least watch one classic noir film because I'm sure at some point in time we've seen a new noir film oh yeah if you if you like movies you know if you consider yourself a fan of film and you kind of want to know a little more about it this this is a big big part of it so go ahead and pop one of these in your DVD player or Blu-ray player or VCR or if you can find it digitally oh right yeah. also digitally whatever. yeah because uh, <laughs> we live in a digital age I forgot <laughs> I'm not a digital person so I'm sorry uh, but yeah uh, pop it in your Betamax player and uh, <laughs> and you know enjoy the ride because it's super fun <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, we appreciate you listening. Absolutely. Um, uh, we hope we... Uh, well, I, I definitely feel like I've learned something. Uh, thanks, Jeremy. Oh, hey. And I hope awesome. that uh, you you have learned something as well. Uh, be sure to subscribe. You know, and... Leave a uh, comment. I like comments. Yeah. Um, Tell me what a terrible job I'm at at this. Uh, the easiest way to leave a comment is I uh, post it on the Facebook page on my Facebook page which I've never plugged so I'm going to unplug it now Uh, Space Cadet Films on Facebook Uh, it's a little astronaut logo and uh, tell us what you think or I guess tell me then I will tell Jeremy what you think that would be nice thank you Uh, thanks for listening everyone and stay tuned for another episode next week 